Well, good morning. If uh, you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, just raise your hand and somebody will get one to you. Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to be beginning reading at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father God, as we, as we come to your precious, holy, inerrant, inspired word, and perhaps, Father, reading a text, preaching from a text, that we have great familiarity with. Father, would you give us fresh eyes for this passage that we would not lose the wonder of what's being said here and that, dear God, by the work of your Spirit, you would speak to us from your Holy Word. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a a bunch of favorite memories, and I'm making some still. One of my very favorite memories, actually four, was getting to tell my mom and my dad that we were going to have a baby. The first one was the one that is the most memorable, not that the other three weren't important. They were memorable, too. But I remember my dad and I, I think we were either taking snow tires off of Amber's car or putting them on the car. I don't remember. But I remember telling my dad, you're going to be a grandpa again, because my brother Mark had had already had a baby. And I'll never forget his wonder. And he said, get out of here. And I said, no, for reals. (laughs) I'm going to be a dad. 
I remember all that time of giving this birth announcement or this pregnancy announcement to my dad, to my friends, my mom, and the joy of it. But I also remember at that time, Amber and I thinking, I wonder what this little person will be like. I don't know. You know, you remember where you go, um, I wonder what their voice will be like. Can't wait till they talk. And then they talk, and you're going, hmm. I wonder, uh, anyway, you know, or, you know where I'm going with that. So what is amazing to me is that here we have a pregnancy announcement given by an angelic being. And he doesn't just say that you're going to have a child. He says what the child will be like. Now, it wouldn't have been interesting if I would have told my dad, yeah, no, she's going to be an awesome girl. She's going to be a lot taller than her mom and, you know, and just go down the list. But I, we had no idea what our, what our daughter would be like. But the sovereignty and the knowledge of the living God in this text, how he comes and explains in precise detail what he'll be like, is gripping to me. And so all I want us to look at this morning and think on is this announcement this pregnancy announcement, this birth announcement, this announcement of what this individual is going to be like, because all of human history is hinged on this individual. All of human history is not necessarily hinged on Megan, or on me, or on us. We come, we go, there's blessings in this life, God saves us, it's glorious, but the entirety of human history is hinging on this one that this angel is declaring is coming. Your eternal resting place is based on this child that's being talked about here. You will go to heaven or hell based on this individual. All of humans, all humans, all of human history, all of eternity rests on this baby that this angel is about to speak about. And so the stakes couldn't be higher as far as who he's talking about. This is off the charts, what this angel is saying here. And I think it's so fantastic because I don't don't want us to lose this, okay? So before we get into the text itself, don't lose the setting, the mystery, the glory of the setting. You have this poverty-stricken girl, not married to this guy yet, but betrothed to him. And an angelic being, you know, I realize when we, unfortunately in our culture, angels are like these little naked babies that fly around and shoot people, right, with arrows. It's just ridiculous. Every time an angel comes on the scene in the Bible, you know what people are? They're scared. They're terrified. They're nervous. There's a reason the angels have to say, hey, don't be afraid. Fear not. Because there is a holy magnificent power that comes with these beings. And so this is a messenger of the living God, an angelic, holy messenger of God is coming to this little peasant girl. Don't, I, just, I don't want us to miss that setting, beloved, of the holy God touching down into the life of this nobody, according to the world's perspective. An absolute nobody. And God, in his sovereign grace, says, boom, her. And I want the angelic being to go and speak to her and give her some information that is going to absolutely knock her sandals off. I 
it is probably one of the most moving biblical truths to me personally in all of the Bible is this concept. And I know you guys probably, you hear it every Sunday. I recognize that. But it's not lost on me, this concept of God coming to us. It it moves my heart so much to consider the holy, perfect, righteous, sovereign king coming to us. Nobody making him do it. Nobody twisting his arm. But in his infinite mercy and grace, he says, I will go to them. They can't come to me. I must extend salvation to them. And I think that that is seen in this really pretty picture of this angel, a messenger of heaven, coming to this peasant girl and speaking into her life things that she, prior to this, just couldn't even fathom God would be doing that in her life. And so let me just give you a brief little context. Verse 26. I already read it, but let me just read through this again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel most likely the sixth month of the pregnancy of uh, John. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, something great's coming out of Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, vitally important, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. (laughs) The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Greetings, O favored one. What a mouthful with what this angel is declaring to this woman. Just by the greeting, how he is coming to her and saying, you are a favored one. Now, at times when something is granted to us, By nature, our response is, what did I do to deserve that, right? They say, hey, I wanted to give this to you. Why? What did I do? That's just how how our brains work. She's not a favored one because she is of higher moral standing than anybody else. She's not a favored one because she's more wealthy than anybody else. She's not a favored one because she has done something that caught God's attention over somebody else. She's a favored one because God has decided she's a favored one. He pursues her. And he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And it says that she was greatly, interesting, greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Well, that's not that far off. We would all be wondering, right? I come, or not I, but... Gabriel, the angel comes to Dennis Chris and says, greetings, O favored one. You know, we're all going to go, what, him? We would be caught off by that. She didn't, you wonder, you guys, throughout her short span of life, when has anybody ever called her favored one? And yet, from the mouth, I don't know what the voice was like, what the tone was like, but from the mouth of this angelic being, calls this nobody, according to the world's standards, you are favored and God's with you. What what immense, undeserved honor to be placed on this person. 
Well, now look what he, as he's going to explain a little bit further, verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. In what way? How? Why? What's happening? Who are you? What's taking place here? Now, this word, if it's in your translation, underline it. It's one of my favorite words. And behold. In other words, this is, this is glorious truth. These are incredible things. This is awesome, truly awesome news that I'm about to give you here. What I'm about to declare in front of you, Mary, is what the entire world is hinging on. This news that I'm about to unload on you, everybody prior to this birth has been waiting and moving towards. Everybody after this birth will be hinged on this individual. All people everywhere throughout this entire world for their eternity is based on what I'm about to tell you here. You you can't make it big enough. I don't have enough words. I don't have the right words to wrap around the magnificent heralding that's going on here. When you stop and just pause for a second, beloved, and just let it grow in your mind theologically, what is this angel declaring to this poor peasant girl? Man, everything's hinged on this person he's announcing. So I think it's a perfect spot for behold. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. It's always interesting when, I don't know about you, but when we're naming, when we were choosing names for our kids, um, lots and lots and lots and lots of people, guess what? I found something they all have in common. They all have an opinion. And they all have an opinion on names. They all have an opinion on what they want you to name your child. And I remember Amber and I, with Maggie, we were looking through name books and, you know, that kind of thing that, that parents do, which was super fun. Um, eventually, we picked Megan. You know why? I never told anybody this. We like it. <clears throat> and so we named her Megan. And as we were doing that, nobody said, you will name your daughter Megan. Nobody has that authority. That's our authority. We're her parents. We get to choose that. Isn't it interesting that there's no authority given to Mary to the name of this individual? God, through his messenger, says his name is Jesus. Why? Because I'm his father. The father's naming the son. Don't miss that. Almighty God is naming his son. His name will be Jesus. The Greek form of the common Hebrew name, Yeshua, it means basically God saves, Yahweh saves. Salvation is in the very name of this individual. Remember when he told uh, Joseph is thinking about putting Mary away quietly because he doesn't want to dishonor her, but he's really frustrated because she's found pregnant and he's going through this. The angel comes to him and makes the same concept. This is going to be your son, This is going to be the one you're going to raise. But this is ultimately God's son. He will come and he will rescue his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21 He's the Messiah. 
Just hear, simply hearing the name of to this child reveals so much about him. Just to hear his, his name is Yahweh saves. God is a saving God with the love and desire to rescue a people. And his very name declares that. God, this child somehow was coming to save or rescue a people. All this, remember, Mary is piecing this together. She, I'm sure, has some concept of the Messiah. But, man, this wasn't how this was supposed to work. That I would be the mom. That I would give birth to him. And I, I really doubt that at this point she has a full understanding that he will ultimately come to be crucified. This is pretty overwhelming for this young lady. Notice that just like John, Gabriel informs Mary of the name she would give to this child. That's a sign of authority from God on that person, a marked case. God is even declaring a marvelous truth by the very name given to this individual. If you look down at your Bibles, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Just hearing that name, beloved. This is not simply a historical figure. This is not simply somebody who came and died and is still dead in the grave. This is the one I spoke to this morning. This morning in prayer, I spoke to Jesus. I have communication with him. And the closer I get to him, the more that name means something to me. It's like the name Amber. If I hear that name, it means something different to me than Joe or fill in the blank. There's attachment to that name. When I hear the name Jesus, I don't simply think of it as another way of saying Joshua from the Old Testament. When I hear Jesus, that name falls on my ears but also lands on my heart. That is my Lord. That is my Savior, my Master, my King, my God, my best friend. So as I read that text, it just all that is filled up in that name is enough to just flood my soul. Notice what else he says about this child. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This description was given to John earlier, said that he would be great. But there's nothing modifying it here in this description that he gives here. He doesn't say he'll be great at this or great in this way. There's nothing that, that puts a border around it. You know, it's like if, if you were to say, um, Dennis is a great guitar player. We're saying, yeah, he's a good guitar player. We say that, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Um, Roger's good at something, I'm sure. <clears throat> and, and you say, you know, they're great at this, or they're a great this, or so on and so forth. You're putting a context in there. You're putting a border around it. The text doesn't say anything. There's no border. What is he? He's great. At what? Yes, fill in the blank. This is the great one. I'm not telling you he's just good at something. I'm not telling you he has authority over something. I'm not saying he has power over uh, this category. I'm saying he is great over what? Everything. Nothing competes with him. 
There is no enemy too strong. There's nobody telling him what to do. This child will be great in so many ways. And if you were to ask, well, can you show me in some ways in which his greatness is seen? I just encourage you, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will see, even in his earthly life, fully God, fully man, in ministry, on this planet, seeing the greatness. But then go before that. The never, he's never begun. He's always existed. And you see the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his deity from time past. But then you see he's been dead, buried, resurrected, ascended. He's coming back for his church and will rule and reign, new heavens, new earth for all eternity. Beloved, he is... Great in every way. It's quite a bit for, you know, they, they debate as far as how old Mary was. I, some folks go as far as 13. Some folks go maybe, you know, almost 20, somewhere in between there is my guess. This is pretty incredible to unload this from an angelic messenger onto this young lady. This is what's going to happen. And Mary, this is what this individual is going to be like. And you are favored by God that you are the one who's going to bring this individual into this world. His greatness will truly be seen for all eternity. Jesus is even greater due to the further explanation given to this next statement in reference to him being the son of the Most High. Look down at your Bible. He will be great, verse 32, and will be called the son of the Most High. Now, perhaps at times, I know this is tricky, and I'm on that trinity ground that makes things just a little bit trying, and all of us are in agreement. There's a mystery here, and there's some difficulty trying to get our minds wrapped around Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three gods? No, one God, three persons. And I, you know, I'm sure you've been there where somebody tests your steel theologically to figure out why you believe what you believe. A number of years ago, somebody really, really pressed me hard on the doctrine of the Trinity. And it forced me to come back to the Word and say, why do I hold to this? I don't want to just hold to it because I said I, I did or because my parents did or I have to to be in village missions or whatever. I want to know why I hold to this. And as I searched the Scriptures, I came away saying, man, the Bible says there's one God and yet Father is God, Son is God, Spirit is God. If I said Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Dan, would you have an issue with that? Way too quiet in here. You should have a huge issue with that. No addition, Father, Son, and the Apostle Paul. No, not a chance. Father, Son, any addition to those three should strike a chord with you where you go, no, this is so wrong and unbiblical. But as we search the scriptures, the deity of the Holy Spirit, the deity of God the Father, and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is everywhere. If you're ever interested, just to sit down and just look at verse after verse after verse, I would love to do that with you. I really would, because this doctrine is not one that I just believe because I was told to. I believe this with all my heart, and I believe it's what the Word of God teaches. So what's with this son business? Well, Perhaps it's a little troubling to figure out why Gabriel says he will be called the Son of the Most High. Due to the fact that we will learn that Jesus is actually the Most High. Himself in the flesh. So, why the Son statement? 
I'm going to read this because it's, it's a little technical, but I, I, don't want to, I don't want to go right by it, okay? So just track with me if you would. The usage of this son word, this language points to the fact that when someone is referred to as the son of someone, it is in fact pointing that that person has equality with the father. When the, for instance, a person is referred to as a son of Abraham in the Old Testament, it was declaring that he is from Abraham or of Abraham. So therefore, if this child is referred to as the son of the Most High, the concept, the picture we're getting here is, that's being painted is that Jesus is equal to the Most High. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. It's a hard concept to get our minds around. I know that, but I die for it. I am utterly convinced of it. You pull that pin out of your theology, you have removed, you've removed Christ. And the whole thing folds. Because no man can die for the sins of this people. This is the death of God in the flesh. Now, Let me give you some verses, all right? So grab your Bible, follow along with me. Just a few, they're probably very familiar to you, but it's good for us to be reminded of this. John chapter 1, verse 1. And then I'll be in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1, if you're one of those people. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, real quick, let me just jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Catch this. All things were made through him, we're speaking of Christ, made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Apostle Paul, writing about the Lord Jesus Christ, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, please notice that, and that word everything, you can track it down, it means everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. This is one of my favorite chapters because it's just unrelenting 
in pointing to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this inspired New Testament author and his argumentation and how he speaks of the Lord Jesus. He's comparing angels here to Christ. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, now listen, this is what he says. God the Father says to God the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Remember, he's speaking of of Christ here. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Beloved, do you hear what he's doing by bringing up these Old Testament texts, these quotations, these passages? He's saying, this has always been speaking of the Son, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of the Most High. Another way of saying it is He is the Most High. Jesus Christ is Almighty God. And it's fascinating to me that one of the greatest battlegrounds in reference to heresy throughout church history has been on that point of the deity of Jesus. And so I I just want to challenge you guys. as You're a Christian. You're a Bible-believing, Bible-packing believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to freshly charge you and challenge you. The Lord Jesus is no mere man who did something good. He's not simply a, a great leader in history. I, I get really tired of hearing that and reading that in certain areas where he's just up there with other leaders in history. No. No, this is God. This is Almighty God who has humbled himself in such a way that he came in the form of a servant as a baby healing people, washing the filthy feet of his disciples, being mocked, a group of the religious leaders waiting consistently outside to to tear him up and catch him in something that he might say so that way they can prove him wrong and eventually take his life. And in all of that, he sovereignly lays his life down that he might be crucified. These are holy things. All right, now you guys, I love you guys. You, when we talk, we talk about lots of different stuff. I have interests, you have interests. But there, there should always be a hushed tone when this, when this gets brought out. Because this is holy. This is so set apart. This is so 
different, so superior to anything earthy that we might want to talk about and visit about. It's like bringing the most precious thing out of my pocket and saying, I want you to look at it. Here, hold it and just put it in your hand. It's a hushed moment when we think about this kind of theological truth. John MacArthur says, Since a son bears his father's qualities... Calling a person someone, someone else's son was a way of signifying equality. Here, the angel was telling Mary that her son would be equal to the Most High God. Back to Luke chapter 1, because we're not done yet. <clears throat> There's more about this person. <clears throat> second half of verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. This Davidic kingdom, this Davidic promise that the son of David will sit on his throne, but not sit on his throne in the the way that Solomon did or, or that kind of a son, but forever. There's a fulfillment, a prophetic fulfillment going on in what's being declared here. And I, you know, we're, we're doing our best to guess, but my best guess is that Mary had some concept of the messianic prophecies that would be fulfilled, especially I would think she would have heard about this somewhere from somebody. And her wow factor is off the charts at this point. Because he just said he's going to be God. And now he's telling her, this one who is God, who's going to be in your womb, who you'll give birth to, is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the one that all of your relatives have been talking about. This is the one that your great-great-grandmother was looking forward to. This is the one. And he's coming through you into this world. This reveals to Mary that her coming child will be the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament that refer to a descendant of David coming to sit on his throne as a king forever. Now, it's clear in the prophecies of the Old Testament that the coming Messiah would most certainly come from the line or family of David. Now, for time-wise, I'm not afraid to go to these passages. I'm going to give them to you, but for time-wise, I'm not going to read them, okay? So, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11b to verse 13, Psalm 89.4, and Isaiah 9, 6-7, okay? Just some passages, and there's more in the Old Testament that speak to this concept of him being a son of David. But I think it, it, we don't need to go to those passages. Just write those down, go back to there. You're probably very familiar with it anyway. Notice the fact that God would establish his kingly rule. Look down, look down at the text. It says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Notice that this is not anybody else granting this authority to him. That's a huge piece, theologically. That it's not mere men saying that we want him to be our king. It's nobody saying, yeah, let's put Jesus up there and make him the ruler. No, the text says the sovereign father is giving this to the son. Why is that important? Nobody can take it away from him. Because nobody gave it to him. This is Almighty God establishing his kingly rule. Remember with Saul, with David, with all the different kings of the Old Testament, beloved, and you have this king and that king, as I've been reading through it this year, I come back every time and I go, I wonder if there's somebody that asks this question. Are we ever going to get like a really good king? And I know there were some good kings. There really were. 
But even when we get a description of the good king, we're told about something stupid they did, something wrong they did. Even Solomon in all of his wisdom blew it. And so at some point, somebody's going to say, isn't there a perfect king? Just as I would think that they would, they would ask the question, isn't there a perfect prophet? Even the prophets fail. Read Jeremiah 20 and read the struggle he has. And at some point, I think they would ask the question, isn't there a perfect priest? A priest that doesn't have to make a sacrifice for his own sins before he could make a sacrifice for our sins? And then continually make a sacrifice for his own sin, a continual sacrifice for our sin? I wish there was a perfect prophet, a perfect priest, and a perfect king. Well, Gabriel has just told Mary, the perfect prophet, the herald of God, the mouthpiece of God, the perfect priest, the one who will come before God on behalf of his people, and the perfect king is coming through you, Mary. It just blows my mind when I think of all of the years, all of the preaching, all of the heralding, all of that, of that Old Testament, lands in the lap of this young lady. Look down at the text. It says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The house of Jacob, or another way of saying Israel, the Jewish people. And then notice that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now we know that Christ will not just reign over the Jewish people, but over people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. It's going to expand. As we see redemptive history unfolding, we see the Lord Jesus come to Israel. We see God pick Abraham and have a people come from Abraham. But even back when he went to Abraham, God said, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And then in Galatians chapter 3, we're told, that all those who are in Christ are in Abraham. And so this this ruling and reigning is not simply Jesus who will just be the Jewish king. No, this is the one who's the king over everything. Let me remind you of a passage that you're very familiar with. The Great Commission, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You're familiar with the text, right? Great Commission. Do you remember what that whole thing starts off with? Jesus Christ says, all authority in heaven, and where else? And on earth, has been, past tense, has been given to me. Therefore, go. I heard some pastor one time say, he said, if you don't have the therefore go and you just have the go, you are missing a huge part of this whole thing. It's a therefore go. In light of this go, since he is sovereign over all things, since he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth, go. And so this kingdom has a massive expansion to the point that when we come to the book of Revelation, we're told that there's people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. His kingdom truly will have no end. Now, there's lots of eschatological bits and pieces that theologians love to debate and talk about, and I I do too, I'm with you there. 
And, and we can do that, but ultimately we are resting, we are ending in a new heavens, new earth, where the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling supreme as almighty. His kingdom will never end. It will never stop. Let it sink in. Don't let it pass, beloved. Christ will rule and reign forever. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow Those who are not in Christ will be in hell for all eternity. Those who are in Christ will be in His presence in the new heavens and new earth, rejoicing and basking in the joy of Christ forever. I've always wondered if we'll calculate time in any way, shape, or form. You know, well, it's been a couple million years, but how are you doing? (laughs) You know, I don't know. I'm not too concerned about that. I slept fine last, well, yeah, I slept fine last night, not worrying about that. Um, But beloved, this concept, what the angel is declaring here is that he will be ruling and reigning among his people. Remember, even the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them also I must bring them also. As he brings Jews and Gentiles and piles them in, he is truly the sovereign God. God most certainly chose the Jewish nation, the house of Jacob, But that certainly was not the end of his kingdom. It was the beginning of his kingdom. And so let us be careful not to, and I think we can do this at times, we can go back and read some of these birth narratives and gospel narratives, and it is such a Jewish nature, we can detach ourselves from it. Okay? Just stick with me on this. I've I've been thinking about this quite a bit. The angel Gabriel is declaring the truth of Christ's eternal reign over his people for all eternity. Far more than just some mere earthly kingdom, this is his eternal forever kingdom. This is where we will see the final, full, glorious fulfillment of our Lord's rule and reign. A.T. Robertson says, Luke reports the perpetuity, it's my new favorite word, the word of the day today, perpetuity of this Davidic kingdom over the house of Jacob with no Pauline interpretation of the spiritual Israel, though that was the true meaning as Luke knew, his point being that Jews and Gentiles would ultimately come and be under that rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I don't know about you, but I kind of fall back on my heels thinking, you unloaded all this on this teenage girl. <laughs> this, the, the, the truths here, beloved, um, they, they are the things that we will be digging deep into for the rest of eternity, I believe. This announcement that's made by this angel covers the whole sphere of existence of, cre- of all creation. So let me go from that massive vantage point and bring it down to you individually. Perhaps in studying this text, you felt perhaps a little small and perhaps a little detached from what is happening in this text. I want to freshly remind you of the fact that in this marvelous sense, this is your family's history. 
Okay, so track with me. This is your history. You're reading about your history here. You go, Dan, I'm, I'm not Jewish. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't here. This was thousands of years ago. I, I know, I know, I know. But when that passage says his kingdom will have no end and he will rule and reign forever, beloved, you are in that. You are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When I was a little boy, I would think kingdom kind of like a, a little moat and a castle. No, 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 no. When you think kingdom, people. You are who he's ruling and reigning over currently. Now, we'll see the full extent of it in the future. I look forward to that. But right now, beloved, you are under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your master. And our translations do not a very good job, but a better translation said a servant is we are his slave. We are no longer slaves of sin. We're slaves of righteousness. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. He's master. He's Lord. That's today. That's right now you are in the kingdom of Christ. And so what's being spoken of here to Mary so many years ago is not some strange fable, some Jewish fable that happened so many years ago, utterly detached from you. Beloved, this is your history. That's your Savior he's talking about here. That's your Master. That's your Lord. That's the one you pray to. The reason you'll go to heaven is because of this guy. Your eternity is hinged on the one being spoken of in the text. That's your God. That's your Lord. This is your history. This is your God that is being spoken of in this description. This coming Messiah is your Savior. Dan Mason's Savior. Gabriel, it's just, it boggles my mind. Gabriel, the angel, the messenger of God, is telling Mary all about Dan Mason's Savior. That's my God. This child that will be conceived in Mary is the Lord of Lords who will come and be crucified for the sin, for the sin I haven't even committed yet. Beloved, we must recognize the Christmas story is actually your story. This is your salvation story. This is the story of how you got saved. This is the glorious rescue mission of Christ coming to earth for you. It's not simply a story about a people that has nothing to do with us. On the contrary, brothers and sisters, this is the story of how we can be saved from God's wrath by the death of Jesus Christ as our personal substitute. I've said this over the years from this pulpit many times, and I say it again. If you do not have the concept of substitution in your understanding of the gospel, you don't have the gospel. At the very very core of the truth of the gospel is the concept of substitution. Jesus Christ in our stead. He took all my sin and all of his righteousness accredited to me. We have swapped. I am perfect. Just ask my wife. No, I'm I'm perfect. And it is the absolute perfection of Jesus Christ that I can stand before God, and God says, why would I let you into my heaven? Because I am perfect under the spilt blood of Jesus. This glorious Messiah saved Dan Mason. 
He took all my sin. I take all of his righteousness. And the Father declares Dan Mason in the most magnificent idea that this brain can handle, God declares Dan Mason just because of the work of another. Not me making me better. I'm going to hell if I'm, ba- if I'm basing all this on Dan making Dan better. No, it's Christ, and it is Christ alone. So, beloved, I just want to leave you with that concept to just meditate on. Soak in that for today. This is the story of your redemption. Father, I thank you for your holy, precious word. And Lord, I want to um, just pray for PCBC. Many of us, many of this body are not here this morning, Lord God, and needed to stay home with, with crazy road conditions and such, and some are here, but Lord God, we, we are a church family. We are a church body. And so, Lord, I want to just, on behalf of my Self and my church family, Lord God, we want to express thank you. Thank you, Lord God. We've found favor with God. We are favored people because of your gracious gift of your Son. And I want to herald that message until I can't breathe anymore in this life, Lord And I so look forward to the glory of a deeper understanding of the gospel truth in all eternity, Lord. Digging deeper and deeper and seeing more and more precious jewels of really what has happened. And so, Father, we we bow before you. You are King. You are Lord. All authority in heaven and earth is yours. You're working all things according to the counsel of your will. You who are in the heavens, you laugh. Father, we have every reason to find a stability and a relaxation and a trust and a quiet confidence. Our God's in full control of all this. I pray that truth would be such a precious blanket that wraps around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, I, I pray and ask Amen.